Good morning. Our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 119. If you can stand, we'll sing together. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I'm severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my, in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Your word is a lamp to my feet. we 
Almighty God, King of kings, faithful and true. Father, you delivered us from sin and death to be your people and to worship you. And we come and worship this morning as we always do through the, the self-giving and the gracious invitation of your son. Make us aware, Father, of your abiding presence this morning. Meet us, Lord, in, in whatever ways we find ourselves along this path. Lord, meet those of us who feel full and vibrant. May we persist in the strength that you provide, and may you, Lord, use our resources, our gifts, even our weaknesses to, to participate in your kingdom work. Father, we pray you would also meet those of us who may be wrestling, wrestling with questions of faith, Meet those of us who are troubled with grief and sadness. Meet those of us who endure the ways our relationships are shaken in need of repair and restoration. Meet those of us who are worn down, who are lonely and filled with worry. Father, meet us in these full places in these, and in these difficult spaces with your strength, with your love and tenderness, your words of invitation calling us home to find our rest in you. Father, all this we ask and we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, children are now dismissed for children's worship. Uh, the junior high will also be meeting today. Well, it's out of our need, out of our, our sin and brokenness that we turn to our God, our God of mercy and grace. And we'll do this together as a church and then have a time of quiet, personal confession. Almighty God, your word tells us that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Yet if we confess our sins, you who are faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Heavenly Father, even as we hear your word, we acknowledge that we are often slow to confess our sins and quick to deceive ourselves. We see the sin of others while passing over our own. Lord, have mercy on us. Have mercy in your goodness, Lord. 
personal confession. Father, we confess our sin, and we are thankful that in Christ we have a good shepherd, one who will leave the 99 to save the one lost, and, and more than that, who lays down his life for his sheep. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand together to hear the words of assurance that come to us from 1 John chapter 4. Let's join together. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in them and they in God. 
as we've been welcomed into God's family, let us take a moment to welcome one another. morning. The Old Testament lesson is from Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 6 through 14. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the people 
on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. But those who hate him, he will repay to their face by destruction. He will not be slow to repay to their face those who hate him. Therefore, take care to follow the commands, decrees, and laws I give you today. If you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will keep his covenant of love with you as he swore to your ancestors. He will love you and bless you and increase your numbers. He will bless the fruit of your womb, the crops of your land, your grain, new wine and olive oil, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks in the land he swore to your ancestors to give you. You will be blessed more than any other people. None of your men or women will be childless, nor will any of your livestock be without young. The New Testament lesson is from 1 John 3, verses 1 through 11. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, and no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much for reading, Gina. I appreciate it. Today is kind of a big day for me. 
I have, uh, I've preached in the cafeteria and the Nazarene church, and I've made it. I graduated to the gym. So I'm glad you can be here for my big day. I'm also glad to be a part of this fantastic series in Romans. I've really enjoyed it, and it's been really good for me, and I'm glad to take part. But all week, I have not been able to get out of my head uh, this scene from um, my favorite British uh, sketch comedy um, actors. I don't know if it's, I'm influenced by Monty Python or something uh, from, from recent days, but I'll set the scene for you and just describe it. Maybe it'll be funny to you. So if you can kind of imagine just a typical dinner party, and there's people milling about, you know, they're getting ready to eat together, and folks are making introductions. And there's somebody there who the host introduces as a brain surgeon. And, you know, he's a brain surgeon. So um, as he's, you know, trying to feign modesty, he's, you know, greeting other people, asking them what they do, and they're talking about their jobs. And, you know, he's like, oh, that, that must be hard, you know. That must be really hard, you know, what you do. But it's not exactly brain surgery, right? <laughs> it's kind of cringeworthy. It's hard to watch. Uh, but this happens several times, right? And then uh, the host um, answers the door, and there's another guest, and he comes in. And she's like, oh, you know, was it a, was it a long day at the Space Center, you know? And I said, oh, yeah, this was really busy. You know, she introduces him as so-and-so, and, and he's, a, you know, astrophysicist or something, right? Um, so he gets introduced to the brain surgeon. And he's like, oh, you know, he asks him, what do you do? And the brain oh, it's brain surgery. And uh, the rocket scientist is like, well, you know, it's not exactly rocket science. <laughs> You can look it up on YouTube. There's something delicious about when the braggadocious kind of get brought down a rung, right? You know, and I have to believe that Paul has some similar delight in his comparison of Adam and the Lord Jesus. So let's dive right into our passage, Romans uh, 5, 12 to 21. Maybe you have your Bible or you just follow along in uh, the order of worship. I'll read it for us. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass 
led to condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is God's word given for our good. To begin, I want to remind us what we've just seen in chapter 5, the first half. Paul tells us that we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We rejoice in the glory of God. And we rejoice even in our sufferings. And I want to recall how Chad showed us last week that the honesty and candor right here in this first half of the chapter invites us to resist toxic positivity. When the text is being so honest, we don't have to pretend like everything is fine, like everything's okay. We do, in fact, we need someone to bring us in and give us a place at God's table. We, even us, have actual challenges and difficulties. So just like Paul to the Romans, God's word is personal and pastoral here. These are necessary affirmations, reassuring acknowledgments of our need for God to move toward us in the midst of our brokenness and in the course of all our difficulties and challenging hardships in life. As Chad said, knowing our limits leads us to depend upon God's possibilities for transcending those limits. These affirmations then give way in the rest of the chapter, our passage, to Paul's anticipation for what's to come. But before Paul talks about those possibilities, he sets their situation within the context of a much bigger picture. So while last week's passage was filled with the word we, it shows up like 16 times in the passage, Paul doesn't use that word again until, the, until chapter 6. In this way, I think Paul is signaling that the specific predicament of the Romans is somehow just one portion of a much, much bigger and unfolding story. So today I want to consider these questions, just two. What does Paul's big picture communicate to us? And what should we do about it? What does Paul's big picture communicate to us? And what are we to do with it? So let's look at this first question. What does this big picture communicate to us? Listen to how Paul describes our situation in verse, six, in verse 12. Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. What does Paul show us with this statement? He shows us that life under God's judgment is really no life at all. In other words, we live in a world that is still ruled of what we might call the logic of death. This logic of death 
is a common way of thinking that operates in our world. It's what leads us to assume that everything falls apart, that everyone goes away, nothing's ever going to change, and maybe nothing really matters. The logic of death tells us that we have no reason to expect anything better. So if we feel a sense of desperation or despair or defeat, well, maybe that's just how it is. Maybe that makes sense. I'm sure from time to time and in our own ways, we each sense the hardship of life and everything about it would, would tell us that death reigns in this world. We can feel that. That's the logic of death. But Paul interrupts this line of thinking with a simple phrase at the heart of our passage. And it's so subtle that it would be easy to miss it. He says that the free gift is not like the trespass. The free gift is not like the trespass. Now we can begin to picture what Paul is saying by thinking about profound experiences in our own lives. Have you ever been surprised, maybe even stunned, by the kindness and generosity that someone else shows you? Can you recall a time when you were given something exceptionally wonderful? Or have you ever been forgiven something truly terrible? What happens to us when we receive an immensely meaningful gift of kindness, mercy, or forgiveness? It changes us, doesn't it? It grows something inside of us. It, it makes us somehow more ourselves and yet more than ourselves. It opens us up in surprising ways. And that's because the free gift is not like the trespass. This is how God comes to us in the person and work of Christ. He meets the logic of death with the mystery and power of his gift. And I want to just unpack that for us. And I'm going to kind of try and paraphrase Paul's reasoning here. First, he establishes the temporary reign of death in this way. Adam's disobedience brought sin into the world. That sin provoked God's judgment and his withdrawal from Adam. The loss of God's presence meant Adam's death. So, death reigns on the earth because of our obedience, the disobedience that we have learned from the pattern of Adam. This condition, however, Paul tells us, is only temporary. Christ has come and ended the reign of death and initiated a new reign, a reign of life. So whereas Adam failed, Christ's obedience fulfills all righteousness. Whereas Adam stood condemned, Christ, his righteousness, secures justification for all those who believe. Whereas Adam introduced 
death into the world, Jesus introduces resurrection and the very death of death. So now for all eternity, grace abounds to the glory of God. Now, why is Paul like painting this big picture of Adam and Christ? Well, it's to highlight and the contrast that the free gift is not like the trespass. He wants to communicate that there's been a fundamental change in the nature of our lives. That's the point. The reign of death has come to an end through the mysterious and powerful gift of Christ. Of course, we're still trying to get acquainted with this shift. We live with the logic of death. It's all around us. And we're still trying to accept God's powerful possibilities of grace. We've maybe only even just begun to dream about what his resurrection can do in and through us. And that's what brings us to our second question. What are we to do with the big picture that Paul gives us? What do we do with this big, profound contrast between Adam and Christ? Because of what Christ has done, we have to see ourselves differently. We've received the gift of Christ's obedient death, and we are becoming new people, a people marked by the powerful possibilities of this gift. And so we have to act like it. We do. Now, of course, in the next chapter and in the, the chapters that follow, Paul will give very specific instructions, really practical wisdom on how to live like it, how to act like it. He'll quickly go back to the we language and speak directly to our lives. He'll say things like, so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. But here... The purpose of the big picture is really to awaken our imaginations. To invite us to consider the powerful possibilities of God's gift. Listen to Paul one more time. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Think about what Paul is telling us here. I think the key phrase is this two-word phrase, much more. Much more. We're being invited to exercise some imagination. God's gift can do much more than we're used to. It can accomplish much more then the logic of death would allow us to believe possible. So I invite you to turn your imagination on for just a moment and think with me. Have you ever, have you ever like stepped off the sidewalk without paying attention? <laughs> and maybe someone pulled you back real quick as the car sped past. Do you remember that feeling? Or have you ever been going down a flight of stairs quickly and and just for a moment like just for a split second you think you might miss a step and fall you know and, and there's you you feel that quick shot of adrenaline and you grab the rail you know 
Remember what that's like? To those who are being saved, that's what death will be like one day. In eternity, even the pain and the sorrow of death will be swallowed up in the much more of God's transforming gift. It will. Now, I'm not uh, making light of our struggles. Paul begins his chapter by affirming the very real sufferings of his hearers. But he begins there so that he can point us all to the much more of what God's gift can do. So we should use our imaginations and follow the trajectory that Paul has plotted. Besides just rescuing us, what else does God intend to do with his much more? I think we're invited to apply these possibilities with the broadest scope. Paul explicitly says that God's much more is available to all people. He says, justification and life for all men. Many will be made righteous, he says. So we need to grow our imagination to account for this expansive scope. We're called to envision the renewal of all things. What kind of things? Sorrow, loss, grief. The fading tyranny of death in our world, it can't compare to Christ's empty tomb. It can't compare with everlasting life. About hardship and struggle and bondage. The momentary pain in this world, it can't compare to the permanent joy that Christ gives. Injustice, iniquity, division, present affliction of our world can't compare to the eternal reign of Christ's peace. Fear, shame, guilt, even these crippling burdens ultimately cannot compare to the future glory of sharing in Christ's righteousness. In the end, what does the old pattern have to do with the future protect for the future protection and perfection of Christ. Paul himself confesses, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. In closing then we we can and we must activate the imagination of God's much more. And we're first called to do that for and with each other, right here, right now. We need to imagine God's much more 
at work within our very own lives and in the lives of each other. And we do that for the sake of one another, for the benefit of one another, for the benefit of our friends and neighbors. We hold out the possibility of God's much more. And today, thankfully, in God's kindness, we're given a portal, a doorway, a vehicle for taking in the imagination of Christ's gift. And each week we have that as we celebrate around his table. And I know it's just a foretaste, but let's imagine where this meal points us. I know that we're breaking bread today with a loaf uh, that will, you know, in time um, turn, right? And, and it cannot be eaten and we're, and we're drinking juice that, you know, is gonna have to go back in the refrigerator in a little bit, right? We file forward to collect our bread and cup and then we go back to our seats. But one day we're going to sit down to a feast that we're never going to want to get up from. And one day we're going to sit and we're going to gather around that table and we're going to feast and we're going to laugh. And we're going to tell gloriously good stories. And we'll remember for ourselves and for each other, we'll remember everything that God has done to win us back from the dead. And I think we should imagine that. I think we should picture ourselves around that table. We've been given this picture of death in Adam and life in Christ so that we would not be held prisoner any longer to the logic of death but instead begin to dream about the much more that God has in store for us because of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we give you thanks for your word. We thank you for the ways in which it speaks directly to our lives, the ways in which it corrects and admonishes us, but also the ways in which it paints pictures for us and extends our imagination beyond what we can even consider. So we ask that you would use your word, that you would paint a picture for us of a time in which we will eat and drink anew forever in your kingdom with our triumphant Savior, Christ Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we join in singing?
God, you created heaven and earth and made us in your image and kept covenant with us even when we turned away and fell into sin. We give thanks and ask that you, our Heavenly Father, save us and keep us in this world of wandering as we join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. God's word, we're now invited to the table that God sets for his people. Thank you, Taylor, for leading us through this passage in Romans that invites us to imagine the God's gift to us. I just want to read again as we prepare to come to the table on the lines that the, the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. This table invites us into that much more, to the much more of God's work on our behalf. And one of the questions that we have been asking through this series of looking at Romans is, 
whether we are left with simply our own resources as we face the challenges and questions and difficulties of this life. And one of the wonders that we're invited to, to imagine and, and enter into is the answer of no, that we're not just left with our resources, not just left with our kind of what we can bring in the face of life's difficulties and hardships. And God's word tells us that, and also this table invites us into that good answer. And so I would remind us as we prepare to come that this bread and this cup, they make clear the good news of God, that while we were off on our own, that that's not the end of our story. The end of our story is not just our resources or what we can bring or what we've done, but God brings us into his family, giving us the free gift of Christ. And so part of us participating in this table is, is remembering our need, but as Taylor reminds us, to enter in, to imagine the, the wonder, the much more of what Christ is, that we who are far off now have a place at God's table, now and forever. And that place is not because of what you've done or will do, but it's a gift from God. If you know of your need and you have faith in Christ, then come and eat of this table, be nourished if you're still thinking about Christ or not yet a follower, let this table be an invitation that there is much more. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this table. And I pray, Lord, that you set apart the bread and the cup, that you may use them by your spirit to nourish us. That in your grace, that you would meet us where we are in our places of death and despair, places of uncertainty, the places where we feel very clearly the end of our resources or what we can bring. Meet us there with your grace and lift our heads in the goodness of Christ, that we are called children of God. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Those who are, are serving, I invite to come forward. Um, you can come down the center aisle and receive the bread and the cup, and I ask that you go back on the sides. And then if you're able to hold them, that you'd hold them till everyone's been served, that we can eat and drink as one family. If you're not taking communion today, we're, we're glad that you're here and invite you to still to come forward. Just put your arm across your chest and we can offer a prayer of blessing for you here at the front at the table. Let's now come forward and receive the gifts that God's given to us in his generosity.
Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink of faith. In response to this table of grace, I, I invite you to stand that together we can pray and sing and remember and rejoice in God's grace together. Lord Jesus Christ, you have made known to us the loving kindness of God and that we are saved not because of our righteous works, but according to his mercy. With thankfulness, let us proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come join together in the prayer the Lord taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thy is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to continue worshiping through the giving of our gifts. This is a chance for us to respond to God's generosity by giving gifts to the work of the church. And so I invite forward those who are the greeters that come forward. There's a, a gray basket that you can put your communion cup in. And then there's silver plates that you can uh, give an offering to. If you would like to give also, you can do so. If you see in your order uh, through the church's website, uh, there's different ways to give in that banner. Uh, I also just want to take a moment to uh, say again, we're glad that we could join together uh, to worship. If you're visiting, this is the first time you're here, welcome. So glad that you joined us. Um, there is a couple things to note. There is, uh, in the order of worship, there's a, a QR code in the back. If you want to fill out a Connect card online, love to uh, be able to follow up and share the church's weekly email with you. Uh, there's also a paper um, sign up in the back that you can fill out the same information there, uh, the welcome table. Um, be able to share different things happening in the life of the church. Also, one, one part of that is that next Sunday, there is uh, an intro to LSBC lunch, and uh, it's a great chance if you're just getting started at the church to get to know others and to know a little more about the church. And so everyone is invited. It's at 12 o'clock, uh, just a short walk uh, north down Rockwell, where our office and our community space is located. So everybody's welcome and invited to come. If you're interested, let me know. It'd be great to have you uh, next Sunday for the lunch. Also, one other reminder is that we have a time of coffee and bagels after the service. Um, today's really nice out. In preparation, though, of weather may be beginning to change, the, uh, the coffee is uh, going to be set up in the, the cafeteria, which is just over here. If you walk out the doors and turn to your left, you'll see it. Uh, but those doors will be open, so you can grab coffee, you can stay inside the cafeteria, or you can just enjoy being outside in the courtyard together. But please stay after. It'll be a chance to enjoy some coffee and bagels and also get to know each other better. Let's continue giving our gifts to the work of God.
Will you rise for the singing of the doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. I believe in the love of It is a narrow little road. It is an ever-widening desert stream. My Savior, I, I will leave this road for the narrow. Savior, I will leave this road for the narrow. It is betrayed in the
receiving God's blessing. Just a reminder, if you'd like to pick up a Thanksgiving basket to, for the wa Waters family, you can stop by the welcome table to grab a basket or just sign out a shopping list. It'd be great to do that. Receive God's blessing. May the love of God, the Father, the grace of our Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. We go in peace. Mm -hmm.